Good morning, Alex and friends. I'm Grace. Today is Wednesday, December 13th, 2023, and you're listening to Alex's News. In the beautiful city of Riverside, temperatures are expected to reach a comfortable high of 70.8 degrees, with a cool low of 50.1 as we settle into the evening. Now let's dive into today's top stories. First, we'll delve into the developing situation in Washington, D.C., where the U.S. Congress has delayed the approval of additional funding for Ukraine. The decision has triggered a wave of concerns about the potential impacts on American credibility and its standing as a global leader. Then, we turn to Wisconsin, where lawmakers are at the crossroads of electoral innovation. They are pondering a significant move towards a major electoral overhaul with the introduction of a ranked-choice voting bill. We will explore what this bill could mean for the future of elections in Wisconsin and perhaps beyond. Finally, we will tackle the latest discussions surrounding the oil industry, where surging profitability seems to overshadow the sector's investments in renewable energy. This comes into sharp focus particularly as companies lay out ambitious climate targets. We'll analyze the complexities and what it means for the global environmental goals. Stay tuned as we unravel these stories and more on Alex's News. We're leading this morning with a critical issue that's unfolding in the United States Congress, an issue throwing a shadow over the credibility of the United States on the global stage. Joining me now to delve into this critical subject is our news reporter, Ethan. Ethan, can you update our viewers on the current situation that's raising so many questions about U.S. reliability? Absolutely, Grace. What's happening right now in Congress is a stark debate over how the U.S. will continue its support for Ukraine amidst the Russian invasion. Despite President Joe Biden's firm promises to back Ukraine in their fight, for as long as it takes, we're not seeing the bipartisan agreement needed to ensure that the flow of aid continues as the conflict enters its third year. That does sound concerning, Ethan. Talk to us about the key elements here. What does this delay in funding signify? The delay is multi-layered, Grace. It's not just about the money but also about what message it sends. On one end, it emboldens Russian President Vladimir Putin, seeing this as a crack in the international coalition against him. And on the other side, it's causing worry among other countries that rely on U.S. assurances. Essentially, the signal this sends could redefine the future of American leadership globally. Speculations must be rife then. What might be the potential implications or consequences if this debate continues without a resolution? The stakes are high. If Congress fails to provide new funding, it could significantly undermine Biden's foreign policy agenda. It would send a message of unpredictability and unreliability, potentially tarnishing America's reputation as a steadfast ally. This could embolden adversaries and impact security in regions where U.S. commitments have been the backbone of stability. So, can you expand more on the particular factors influencing this debate? Certainly, the debate is complicated by the current political landscape in the U.S. We've got hardline members of the Republican caucus who are against further aid to Ukraine. And, at the same time, we see European leaders also struggling to secure funding because of their own political impediments. So, it's not just an American stalemate, it's becoming a transatlantic challenge. With all that in mind, Ethan, what's the sentiment in Congress regarding the amount of aid and the urgency to act? Well, the numbers are significant. The US has provided $111 billion in assistance to Ukraine since the war began. 
And here's where it gets crunchier Biden has requested an additional $61.4 billion. The urgency is palpable, given the situation on the ground. Yet, it's this proposal that's currently in legislative limbo, stalled by congressional debate. And the broader ramifications, considering the legislative package isn't just about Ukraine? Indeed, Grace. Negotiations involve a package that would also bolster Israel in its efforts against Hamas and enhance U.S.-Mexico border security. The overarching political divisions only further entangle the situation, magnifying the delay and potential global security risks that come with it. Certainly a complex and critical conversation. Ethan, we appreciate your insights on this top story. My pleasure, Grace. It's a situation we'll continue to monitor closely. Thank you, Ethan. Coming up after the break, we will be discussing story number two of the day, so stay tuned for more in-depth coverage. In the realm of electoral reforms, a significant development is brewing in Wisconsin, where a revolutionary piece of bipartisan legislation is under consideration. Chloe, can you bring us up to speed on this new bill called Final Five Voting? Absolutely, Grace. Final Five Voting is essentially a proposal that could transform how Wisconsinites vote for their congressional representatives. If passed, it would have voters rank their top five candidates from any party in the primaries, rather than just picking one from the major parties. Sounds like a substantial shift from the usual way of voting. Chloe, could you break down for us how this system would actually work? Sure thing. Under this new system, all candidates for a U.S. House or Senate seat, regardless of party affiliation, would be listed together on the primary ballot. Voters then rank them in order of preference. The top five finishers then advance to the general election, where ranked choice voting is also used to determine the winner. So how does this change the dynamics for candidates and their accountability? Proponents of the bill argue that final five voting changes the incentives for elected officials. By opening the field and asking elected officials to appeal to a broad electorate, they're held accountable to deliver real solutions. This could, in theory, make the campaign environment healthier and legislative outcomes more broadly representative. Ranked choice voting isn't an entirely new concept, right? Where else is this being used? That's correct, Grace, it's not new at all. RCV is already in place in Maine and Alaska for federal and state elections, and it's spreading at local levels too, three counties and 45 cities to be exact. It's gaining traction as people seek more equitable and democratic voting processes. But, I imagine not everyone is on board. What are the primary concerns from critics? Skeptics voice several concerns, Grace. They argue ranked choice voting can be confusing for voters, potentially leading to lower turnout and decreasing the clarity of political debates. Essentially, they fear it makes it harder for the average voter to pinpoint the differences in policy and stance among a crowded field of candidates. Also, despite its intention to generate a candidate with majority support, RCV may still fail to do so in certain scenarios. Interesting point there about voter turnout. Has there been research done on how ranked choice voting affects it? Indeed, the impact on voter turnout is quite contentious. Some studies, like one from the University of Missouri-St. Louis by David C. Kimball, indicate that RCV doesn't significantly affect turnout. However, another study focused on San Francisco pointed out a drop in turnout among specific racial groups post-RCV adoption. It seems that while there are claims RCV can improve turnout, as seen in New York City's local elections, the opposite effect was observed in Alaska after they adopted it. It seems like there's a lot left to learn about the long-term effects of ranked-choice voting on elections. 
Chloe, are there any potential broader implications if Wisconsin moves forward with this? This could indeed set a precedent, Grace. If Wisconsin successfully implements Final Five voting and it yields positive results, we might see a domino effect with other states considering similar reforms. This shift could reshape the American political landscape, possibly encouraging more moderate policies and diverse candidates. That's a fascinating prospect. Chloe, thanks for that in-depth analysis and shedding light on the complexities of ranked choice voting. We'll definitely keep an eye on Wisconsin's legislative developments. My pleasure, Grace. There's plenty to watch as the story unfolds. Here are some other headlines. Today's five most important headlines reflect substantial geopolitical tensions and a tragic loss in the arts. 1. Videos have surfaced showing Israeli soldiers engaging in alleged malicious behavior, intensifying global condemnation over the country's military tactics in Gaza. This controversy adds to Israel's challenges while dealing with the ongoing conflict. 2. Meanwhile, fashion retailer Zara is in the spotlight as it pulls advertisements after receiving backlash for imagery that some interpreted as making light of Israeli military actions in Gaza. 3. From Yemen, reports indicate that rebel forces launched missiles at a ship carrying jet fuel. The attack, which narrowly missed the vessel, raises concerns about the security of maritime traffic near the strategic Bab el-Mandeb Strait. 4. In a recent violent confrontation, Palestinian militants ambushed Israeli troops in the densely populated neighborhood of Gaza City, resulting in at least nine Israeli soldiers' deaths. This marks a significant escalation in the weeks-long offensive in the area. 5. In domestic politics, the United States House of Representatives is preparing for a critical vote on the impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden, with Republican members indicating strong support for the investigation. These headlines delineate ongoing conflict in the Middle East and domestic political proceedings in the United States. Additionally, the arts community mourns as we've learned of the passing of a beloved actor, Andre Brower, known for his significant roles in television series like Homicide and Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And in more heartening news, two beloved Christmas classics have just joined the National Film Registry. This acknowledgement not only celebrates cultural heritage and the preservation of cinema that has resonated with generations but also serves as a reminder of the artistic and historical significance of these films. This is a bright spot of news, aiming to unite and bring nostalgic joy to many during these turbulent times. In our next segment, we turn our attention to the energy sector. Despite growing pressures to adopt cleaner energy sources, major oil companies continue to find oil production far more lucrative than investing in renewables. To break down this complex issue, we have our specialist correspondent, Ethan, joining us. Ethan, what's the current state of affairs with oil companies and green energy investments? Thanks, Grace. The crux of the situation, as reported by Jefferson Public Radio, is that oil companies are allocating a meager 2.5% of their capital towards green energy. This figure is startlingly low compared to what's required. We're looking at a need to invest 50% by 2030 to align with global climate targets. Now, why is this? Simply put, the oil business is booming. We're consuming 102 million barrels per day. Demand is steadily rising. And as a result, oil prices remain high. This means that oil and gas investments can fetch between 20 to 50% returns, 
whereas renewable projects like solar or wind hover around 5 to 10 percent. That's quite the gap in returns. But given the increasing urgency to combat climate change, aren't these oil companies concerned about the long-term sustainability of oil profitability? That's a great point, Grace. In theory, they should be. But here's the thing. The renewable sector, albeit growing, is still young and small when compared to the well-established oil industry. Look at BP, for instance. They made headlines when they tried to pivot to renewables and their stock value dropped by 10%, all while their oil-sticking competitors saw stock price increases. It's this kind of market reaction that makes oil companies hesitant to shift away too quickly from their profitable core business. So, there's a clear hesitancy to embrace green energy within these big oil companies. How does this align with global efforts and agreements, like those discussed at COP28 and others? Well, those climate meetings you've mentioned, particularly COP28, are certainly pushing for a move away from fossil fuels, emphasizing the grave impacts of climate changes, like those we're witnessing in the Arctic. However, the oil industry still has a strong presence in these negotiations. It's a bit paradoxical on one side, climate activists are calling for urgent action and transition, and on the other, these financially powerful oil companies seem to be dragging their feet, largely due to the current profitability landscape and the substantial investments involved in transitioning to renewables. With the energy transition seeming more essential by the day, what might be the potential implications of these oil companies' reluctancy to invest more aggressively in renewables? If oil companies continue at their current investment pace, we might miss critical climate targets. It can also delay the overall shift of the energy grid to cleaner sources. However, it's not all bleak, as global investments into renewables continue to grow, hitting $1.7 trillion per year. Plus, as the renewable sector matures, the costs are decreasing, making it a potentially better investment in the long run. There's a real possibility that companies heavily investing in fossil fuels now might find themselves at a disadvantage in the future when the energy markets inevitably shift. And finally, Ethan, what are some of the strategies being discussed to help accelerate the transition away from fossil fuels? Strategies put forward range from eliminating fossil fuel subsidies to implementing robust carbon pricing, encouraging energy efficiency, phasing out coal, and drastically improving access to clean energy are all on the table. We're seeing successful adoption of renewables in Germany, the US, and the UK, with their renewable sources now surpassing coal in electricity generation. The key is international cooperation, supporting workers during this transition, and regulating emissions. The lowered cost of renewable technologies coupled with the imperative to slash greenhouse gas emissions is framing our future energy landscape. It's going to be a complex journey ahead, undoubtedly. Thank you, Ethan, for that in-depth analysis and for helping us understand the intricate dynamics of oil profitability versus green energy investments. My pleasure, Grace always important to keep an eye on how our energy choices today shape our world tomorrow. That's all we have for now. Today's episode was made by Alexander King with GPT-4, GPT-3.5 Turbo, the Perplexity API, and the Google Cloud Text-to-Speech API. I hope you have a great day. I'll see you tomorrow, Alex.